we, we, we've sold all our possessions. We've followed him. We've done everything that he's asked us to do. He's probably going to put us in places of authority. Maybe I could be a cabinet minister. Maybe I could be a ruler. Maybe, maybe, I'm going to have the inside scoop. I've been hanging out with Jesus since before he was super popular. I knew the band way back when. It's probably an inner monologue that goes through their head like that. How else would they react? And so Jesus makes the disciples get in the boat. <laughs> you can't be a part of this. Get in the boat and go to the other side. And, and he's sending them to a, a small, fertile plain that's on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's between Capernaum and Magdala. And it's not a very long boat trip. It's a trip that they've made before. It's an easy trip to a place that they know. And Jesus sends them there instead of hanging out with King Jesus. They probably wanted to still be with Jesus. So he makes them get into the boat. He does what they actually need, even though it's not what they want. Jesus needs them to be in the boat, not where they want to be with him. And then Jesus turns to the crowds, and he dismisses them. He makes them leave. He sends the disciples, and then he sends the multitudes. Neither group really wanted to be sent away, but it is the will of Christ that makes it so. He directs them and makes them go on the way that he needs them to go. And there's power in that. There's power in that because Christ has authority over everything. We can't forget that, especially as we think about faith. So he sends them away. Let's look at the first half of verse 23. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. So Jesus sends them away, and then what does he go do? He goes to the mountain to be with his Father, alone, to pray, to meditate. And it has been asked, and it's a good question, why does Jesus need to pray? He's God. Why does Jesus need to go to a quiet place to pray if He is God? Well, we can't forget that Jesus is also fully man, and He is the mediator between man and God. And we are to be people that mimic the actions of Jesus, and so we learn to pray by the way Jesus taught us to pray. We learn to commune by the way Jesus places an importance with communing with His Father. His humanity is part of the reason that He can be the mediator between God and us, fully human, fully God. And so just like Jesus needed physical sustenance, just like everybody here needs breakfast and lunch and dinner, we also need spiritual sustenance, and we get that through communion with God via prayer. And so Jesus goes to meditate and to pray and to be with His Father. And now the rest of 23 and into verse 24. When evening came, he was there alone on the mountain. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So Jesus dismisses the crowds, and then he prays and meditates into the evening. And by this time, the boat is far out to sea, and it's being beaten by the waves. The wind is against it. It is a big storm. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. So when we read the fourth watch, that would be the time from like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. 
It's late or early, depending on how you look at it. It's really late. The men in the boat have been stuck in this huge storm. And we get an idea how big this storm is by how long it has taken them to cover the distance that they have. They have covered about three miles in 10 hours. That is not a lot of distance in a boat to cover in 10 hours. They've covered about three miles in 10 hours. They have not made much progress. They are in a huge storm. In Mark's gospel, the way that it's phrased is that they were making headway painfully. Have you ever made headway painfully? We came back from Spain once with like 160 knots on the nose of the airplane. It took us 12.6 hours in the dark to come home. That is making headway painfully. But the thing that's also important for us to remember is the men in this boat were skilled fishermen. This was not their first time out on water and out in the sea. These were men who were used to being in boats. They were used to being in bad weather. They were used to being in storms. And they'd made almost no headway in 10 hours. Painfully slow. Beaten by a wind. Beaten by a storm. And what happens? Jesus comes walking to them on the sea. See, he's sent them away. They're 10 hours from the time that he sent them away to when he walks out to them in the boat, approximately. And through the waves, and through the mist, and through the wind, here comes Jesus. And look how the disciples respond. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. These are hardened fishermen who have seen incredible miracles. Just half a day before, they saw an incredible miracle. Half a day. <laughs> They've also watched Christ calm a storm before. Multitudes fed. People raised from the dead. People healed. And how do their hearts respond? They're terrified. You see, the challenge with hard hearts is we have limited perspectives. The challenge with hard hearts is limited perspectives. You see, there are always things that can get in the way of faith within a hard heart. I want you to hold on to that idea as we continue. There are always things that can get in the way because of a hard heart and faith. These were men who had been with Jesus for an extended period of time, and yet they believe it's a ghost and they're terrified, and they cry out in fear, these hardened fishermen, these disciples of Jesus. They're afraid. Now, you have to assume they're tired, they're exhausted, they're probably overwhelmed with what they just saw, with the feeding of the multitudes, with the reaction of the multitudes wanting to crown Jesus as king. And that, that's not within anybody's like, you know what I expect to see happen today? Is this little bit of bread and this little bit of fish feed 20 plus thousand people. That's probably not what they expected at the beginning of that morning. So they're overwhelmed and they're tired and they're exhausted. And so probably even the concept that it was Jesus walking on the water was far from their mind. It could have been something like, are you kidding? We've been in this storm for 10 hours, and now there's ghosts? Are you kidding? These are terrified and beat down men in a boat. Verse 27, 
But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now there are two things that are important to note here. If you were to look at the Greek, you would see that the phrase take heart and be not afraid are imperatives. They're commands. He's telling them. He's commanding them. When we think about the words take heart, what this means is to be courageous, to be enhardened. Basically means stand firm and be resolute in the face of danger. Like dig your heels in. Stand firm. Take heart. Do not be afraid. The word is phobeo, which is where we get the word phobia from. It means what you would expect, to be afraid, to be in fear, or to become frightened. That's how I feel when I see spiders. It's a phobeo. But he's saying, you have to be resolute in the face of danger and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Have no fear. And why? Well, the ESV, what we're using, translates it as, it is I. But what it really says in the Greek is, I am. What it really says in the Greek is, I am. Now, this is how people in that time would have used those words grammatically. But I think there's also another deeper meaning here as well. Look back at Exodus 3, 13 through 14. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Take heart, stand firm, do not fear. I am God. So Jesus is saying to the disciples who are afraid in the storm in the boat, it is me, I am. You should not be afraid. You will not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Take heart and be courageous, for I am. And Peter answers him in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Lots in commentaries has been discussed about Peter's motivations. Is it pride? Is it uncertainty? There's one thing that it is for sure, is that Peter is a real person. Peter encapsulates the real experience, the human, hard-hearted, sinful experience. Peter is this beautiful glimpse, I think, a lot of times, of how some lessons have to be learned the hard way. But I think it's a little bit both here, maybe a little pride, maybe a little bit of uncertainty, because Peter is bold, right? He's bold and impetuous, and also a little bit uncertain. Lord, if it is you. If it is you, the Christ, then you can command me to walk on that water. So that's a little bit bold. Hey, if it's you, you could command me to do this because it is you. So there's part of Peter that understands this. He understands that Jesus can command him to walk on the water, that Jesus has that power and has that authority. I kind of liken it to he's putting the pieces together, right? Starting to line up a little bit. Huh? All right. You claim to be him, if it really is you, then you could command me to do the same thing because I am your follower and you are my master. You have the authority and I am under your authority. Right? The Those who learn, the students, observe and mimic what the master teaches them. Verse 29, Jesus says, come. 
So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. I love it. Jesus is like, come. All right. And so what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat. And he walks on water to Jesus. It's like, just as simple as that. Jesus says, come. And Peter says, okay. And does it. If you're God, then I can. And I trust that I can. I trust you. But now look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So what happens? He sees the wind. He sees the waves. He's a hardened fisherman. He knows that the ocean and the sea can drown you and kill you. So now he's in the storm and he's in the waves. And what happens is that, that as he's looking at those things, they become magnified. And his anxiety goes up and the worry goes up and the fear, the phobeo. And he begins to sink. And now he's beginning to sink. And what do you think is happening to the fear and the anxiety? It's getting worse. Oh my gosh, I'm sinking. I'm going to drown. There's wind. There's waves. The fear is increasing. He's a fisherman. He knows. He knows this can kill you. He knows how ruthless the sea can be. He's sinking deeper. Fear, terror. Lord, save me. He commands Jesus, save me. Verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus saves him immediately. You of little faith. The word is actually little faiths. You're stuck in your fear. Your faith right now is little. You did trust it, and everything was fine. And now your faith is little because of your doubt, and you sank like you were walking on water. You're just walking on water. Like, why is your faith little now? In verse 32, and when they get into the boat, the wind ceased. Jesus saves them immediately. And then they get into the boat. And done. Again, the storm is calmed. Look at Mark and his gospel in 6, 51 through 52. And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. It's an interesting comment from Mark. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. I think actually that, that comment from Mark kind of explains the whole landscape really well. They had hard hearts. They had seen things, they had experienced things, but they hadn't really meditated on those things, like chewed on them, processed them. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't have been afraid in the storm. They wouldn't have cried out in fear. But the hardness of their hearts, even though they had just witnessed great things hours before, we're not talking thousands of years, we're talking half a day, in real time, in real space. You see, they should have used what they'd witnessed through this whole journey with Jesus to draw some conclusions. Hey, if there's a big storm, I bet Jesus can stop it. I bet if there's people that need to be fed, I bet Jesus can feed them. I bet if there's people that need to be healed, I bet if I'm hanging out with Jesus, I probably shouldn't be all that worried about stuff. Right? You should be tying the pieces together. But they didn't understand the loaves because they had hard hearts. They, they just, they're not looking at this big enough. We, we are so limited sometimes by our own temporal understanding of time. We talked about time at the beginning of the service, time. We are limited by space and time, and God is not. 
He lives outside of space and time. He brings order. He created time. So sometimes in our temporal world, we're so narrow-focused, we're so short-sighted. But look how Peter and the boat respond after this. Verse 33, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They worshipped him. They worshipped him. They acknowledged that he was to be worshipped, that he is God. So I was reading this, and I was thinking about this and praying on this. What it keeps coming back to me is it's all really about faith. There's so many moments in our lives where our faith will be tested. In fact, we're promised that it'll be tested. James, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James tells us it's actually a joy when our faith is tested because it makes us steadfast. And because it makes us steadfast and being tested, it allows us to know what's really important, needs versus wants. And we get contentment, which is what allows us to understand our completeness because it's God that makes us complete, not the external things. And ultimately, we lack nothing. So it all comes down to faith. Faith is what we put our trust in. It is what the seat of our hearts trust in. We talk about the heart, why the heart is used as a metaphor. Everybody knows what it means, what my heart desires. Faith is what the seat of our heart trusts in. It's what our heart is focused on. And it's important because whatever we focus on gets magnified. If, if Peter's sinking and he's focused on the winds and he's focused on the waves, he's going to be in fear, right? What you focus on gets magnified. Everybody has faith in something. In apologetics, we're talking about the importance of worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has faith in something. And if your faith, if your focus is on the chaotic world, then that's what you're going to focus on. And it will become magnified and it will get bigger and it will feel more chaotic and it'll feel more out of control. If all of your faith is in science, you know, science and God aren't at odds with each other. Science proves God and science is really cool. But there's things called theories for a reason because they're not fact. So if you put your faith in theory, I just said faith in theory and my iPad opened up Siri. And that's what happens when you live in Skynet. But if you put your faith in science and your faith in theory, what happens when you find out that bloodletting isn't a good medical treatment any longer? Oh, we're not supposed to be putting leeches on ourselves. Maybe that's not a great idea. This is... And then Siri just popped up, what I know about bloodletting. That's, that's not even a joke. If it, what, what we put our focus on becomes bigger, right? If all, of your, if all of your faith is in things that can't save you, it's only going to magnify and make bigger the wrong things. And every time those things fail you, then it just magnifies more and it makes you more anxious and it makes you more worried and it crushes you and it, it brings you down. You guys get the idea. These are little faiths. 
these none of them can save. Little faiths are the things that you put your faith in that aren't eternal. They're vanity. They're like trying to catch the wind with your hands. John eleven twenty five through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Little faiths are trusting in things that can't bring you salvation. Politicians are at the top of that list of little faiths. They cannot bring you salvation. They all need Jesus. Big faith, real faith, is faith in Jesus. It's faith in the way, the truth, and the life. It's the acknowledgement that nobody comes to God except through faith in Jesus. It's acknowledging that He is the resurrection and the life. And it's the acknowledgement that only through belief in Him does one get eternal life. Because Christ died for your sins to justify you, to sanctify you, so you can glorify Him. You see, faith is trusting in the promises of God. I've been asking for months now, do you believe in the promises of God? Faith is trusting in the promises of God. It's believing in the promises of God. It's believing them because God has revealed them to you, because He loves you. We talked last night about mysteries, especially when it comes to, to God's eternal decree. There's all these mysteries because He's God and we're not, and He doesn't actually have to tell us anything, but through His grace, He revealed Himself to us. It's incredible. And not only did He reveal Himself to you, but, but He gave you promises. He made a covenant that, that you can't fall out of. Faith is believing in that. Faith is understanding that all of your safety, all of your security, all of your provision ultimately comes from Jesus. Faith is understanding that He will always provide for you both physically and spiritually. It may not be what you want, but He will absolutely give you what you need. That's why the faithful can stand steadfast under trial. That's why you can live out James's words that count it all joy, because you know it serves God's plan and purpose, because you know you're exactly where you're supposed to be. It's my friend Thad's comment. If you talk to my friend Thad, and you tell him how you want to be somewhere else, he'll say you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You are exactly where you are supposed to be. Faith is the contentment in being exactly where you are supposed to be because you trust in God, because you know it serves His glory, because you know that God gives you all the good things that you need, even the trials and the tests. Even the trials and the tests. Faith is keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus in the midst of the storm. So much to learn from Peter's response and also Jesus' timing. Don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus could have shown up at the boat earlier, that Jesus could have calmed the storm earlier. Jesus is God. He, he could have prevented Lazarus' death, right? But there was a timing to Lazarus' death and Jesus raising Lazarus. Timing was important. God is sovereign over time. He could have, he could have 
stop the winds, and come to the disciples in the boat sooner. But he didn't. And he didn't because it served his purposes to drive home this particular point. That God's world isn't chaos, it's actually order. That everything serves his purposes. Every single thing. We talked about that last night in the third chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. You see, faith is keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's fixed on the truth. It's knowing that this order that we have is from God and it serves Him even if we don't feel like it. It still serves Him even if you don't feel like it does because fear and anxiety and terror, those are things that are the opposite of faith. Those things indicate a lack of trust instead of trust. Peter trusts. He gets in the water. Jesus says, come. He's like, okay, I'm in the water. His eyes fixed on Jesus. And how's it going when his eyes are fixed on Jesus? Fine. And then what happens? What happens the moment he takes his eyes off of Jesus? He starts sinking. He literally starts sinking. It doesn't say he has no faith. All of a sudden, now he's thinking about all the things. Well, there's a storm, and there's wind, and there's water, and it could kill you, and you can drown, and I can't swim. And uh, I mean, he probably could swim, but, right? All the things, the inner monologue. My eyes aren't on Jesus anymore. Now I'm, I'm looking at the storm, and it's getting bigger, and it's getting scarier, and it's getting more terrifying, and it feels out of control. Lord, save me. He sinks. This is the same thing that happens to you when you take your eyes off of Jesus, anxieties increase, stress increases, worry increases. It's so simple. Like, it's just so incredibly simple. The answer to fear, the answer to terror, the answer to anxiety is Jesus. Scripture's so clear. Why, pardon me, why is it so hard? Because hard hearts are hard. Hard hearts are hard. Which is why it's important to meditate on God's Word. It is. I know I say it all the time, but you got to read your Bible. You really do. It's important. Because the more you read, and the more you meditate, and the more you chew, the stronger your faith grows. The easier it is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You start using His words to respond to things in your life. Because you've impressed them upon your hearts, and your minds, and your mouths. Being in God's Word helps us stay fixed on Christ. There's a Bible reading challenge. It's on the website. It's under resources. It's great. Even if you haven't started, you can like pick up right where we're at. It gets you through the whole Bible in a school year. It's incredible. It helps you keep your eyes fixed on Christ. You see, faith means thinking about God and praying to God and meditating on God making Him the most important thing in your heart, the seat of your soul above everything else. Because when we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, it keeps us pointed in the right direction. And this came to me the other day. I think we mentioned it last night briefly at the outpost. Here's the kind of the funny reality. It's not funny, but it's funny. God doesn't lose faith in you. God doesn't lose faith in you. You lose faith in Him. It's never a Jesus problem going this way. It's a hard heart problem going that way. But here's the beautiful thing. 
even when you have doubts, even at times when you're in little faiths. He still reaches his hand out and pulls you in the boat. He hasn't lost faith in you. You see the love of God in the way that he responds to Peter. You really get to feel the love of God in the way that he responds to Peter. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. He saw the wind. He was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Time is important, right? Talking about the timing of this. Jesus didn't make him wait another eight hours floating. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. The test was there. But in the moment of need, Jesus didn't make Peter wait. He already knew what was going to happen. But he didn't make Peter wait. He reaches his hand out immediately. He takes hold of him immediately. God doesn't lose faith in you, even when you're impetuous or you're doubting. He still calms the storm. He still responds to, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. I mean, ultimately, it's God who controls the storm. It's funny, the disciples knew these things. They hadn't meditated on them in the right way. Because look what Psalm 9.9 says. The Lord is a stronghold for the impressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Or Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the thorn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 23.4, I told you we were going to get to that here today. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is the stronghold, stronghold in whom we take refuge, the horn of the sal- our salvation. Even if you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, there is no evil to be feared because God is with you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. This is why meditating on Scripture reminds your hard heart that God is your only hope and your only salvation and your true stronghold. He is the place to take refuge. He's the only place to trust. That's why you must keep your eyes fixed on Him. You must be in faith in Him. The storm that is around us wants to distract you. Satan wants to use that storm to pull you out of a place of deep faith. He wants you to be in a place of little faiths. God can't really fix this. You made this mess yourself. I mean, can you even be saved? You know where your heart's been? That inner monologue of the storm. And what happens when you start focusing on that? Man, you're right. You're right. I do know where my heart's been. I do know these. I can't, you're right. I probably can't be forgiven. I mean, I wouldn't forgive me. Who would ever? It's a storm. And what happens when you focus on those things? They magnify and they magnify and they magnify and you drown and you sink. And so what should your response be? Lord, save me. And he will. He loves you. Satan wants you distracted by the storm. Jesus wants your eyes fixed on him. Because some storms, family, are going to feel so large and so massive 
How are we ever going to get through this? We're in a tiny little rowboat. It's Jesus who calms the storm. The stronghold, our rock. Job 9, 8. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? God created everything. He is in charge. There is no chaos. There is only order. God tramples the waves of the sea. The physical sea and the spiritual sea. So keep your eyes fixed on Him. Because He ultimately is the cure for worry, for malady, for anxiety, for terror, for worry. That's why we have to be aware of the hardness of hearts, of things that pull us from great faith into little faiths. Faith in Jesus is believing in the promises of God. So I keep asking you to ask yourselves, do you believe in the promises of God? When you do, you will be in faith. And you will know true rest, rest that comes from being free of worry, to be able to take heart to stand firm, to not be afraid. That's how we get to a place of peace and joy and contentment, even in the biggest storms. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy. Do you believe in the promises of God? Meditate on God's word. Sing God's word. Memorize God's word. you're in a place of little faith, cry out to the Lord, Lord, save me. Pray for him to reach out his hand, and he will. And I promise you, promise you, even in the darkest night of the soul, if you are God's, you cannot fall out of favor with him, and he will rescue you from that place. The scariest storm, the most difficult times, and then you will find the rest that comes from being able to be in peace and joy then, even in the biggest of storms. So George Michael's right. You just got to have faith. Just make sure it's faith in the right things. Right thing. That's Jesus, not things. Little faiths are things. Have faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in the promises of God. And live a life of joy and peace. Let's pray. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for your son, for his death on the cross, for the new life that we have in him. So, Lord, we pray to have faithful hearts, faith in Jesus, in the promises of God, in the covenant that you have made with us as your eternal people. And, Lord, may we live like those people, not in, in worry and anxiety, but in joy and peace, even in the midst of the storm. And, Lord, we pray for those times of little faiths, if there's times when our eyes are not fixed on you, that we will cry out immediately, Lord, save me. And feel the peace and the comfort that comes from the salvation that only Jesus can bring us. All these things we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.